Hey, good to see you all. In case you're new, I'm Steve, the interim pastor here. And um, missed you all the last two weeks, but also was really glad to not be here the last two weeks. Uh, don't take that wrong, because uh, it was mainly, I'm saying that because it was good to be with my family, a little extra time down in Littleton and then up in the mountains for a few days. The reason it was not good to be gone is that uh, I missed a couple great sermons, although I saw them on YouTube. And so I do want to thank uh, Pastor Nathan for a powerful message two weeks ago, and then his dad, Steve, who walked out on me, it looks like. Uh, so, but both had just great messages. If you didn't see him, you should take a look on, on YouTube. And, and Nathan, you were this last week in Wisconsin with a bunch of middle school kids, right? That takes courage in and of itself. And, uh, but it was a camp, and, and I don't I don't know if you want to say something right now. I'm putting you on the spot, but it was, yeah. God was at work. You, you, want, you want to? Hey, why not? Yeah. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, joined me along the journey by praying. Uh, the Lord really moved. Uh, we had tons and tons of kids decide to go all in for Jesus. Um, 20-some kids said, I want to decide to follow Jesus for the very first time, which is awesome. Praise the Lord. And, uh, yeah. And we also, uh, we had a call to surrender to say, Jesus, all that I am is yours. Every breath, every word, every minute, all of it. It's all yours. And, like, it's great. The sermon, I told them all of the most hard things about being a Christian, and still they decided to come forward, and like two-thirds of them, and so praising the Lord, and he is really, really good, and uh, all, all glory to him for sure. Yeah, praise God indeed. Well, I might mention that, that Tuesday we had a hard, difficult, but nevertheless joy-filled celebration of Vanessa's cousin's life, Lexi, who tragically last August was murdered at the age of 16. And uh, I just want to thank Vanessa for, with your family, arranging that time to remember Lexi, but also Jesus was exalted in all that was said and done. And, and um, as her grandpa, Rod, asked me to do, uh, we, we also asked the guests, about 50 people, you think? Something like that, about half of them teenagers. And, and uh, probably 2025 20, stood to, to say they wanted to open their lives to Jesus. And God, you know, God knows, God knows what was going on there, but do be praying for Vanessa's family as they continue to grieve, but also I think really are seeing God used this awful tragedy uh, to uh, point others to him. I want to just say that next week I'll, I'm taking a study leave. I appreciate the leadership team granting that. And I just want to get with God and listen and look into the word and basically say, what do you want to say the next few months? Because it's not about what I have. It's what he might have through me and the other preachers. So I uh, appreciate your prayers on that. And, and then uh, Tom Duckworth will be taking us into God's word uh, next Sunday. But for now in a Bible, would you find 1 Kings chapter 19 on your phone? Uh, if you actually have an actual book, you know, like this, that's what they look like. Um, God can speak in the scriptures through all kinds of versions. So if you, if you have it on the phone, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll just assume that you are looking at the Bible and not just texting or whatever, looking at Facebook. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, hey, perhaps you recognize, uh, this leads us into this passage. Perhaps you recognize this character. Who is this? Humpty Dumpty, sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty, had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't. So sad. Now, when I was a kid, I thought that was the weirdest story I've ever heard. An egg sitting on a wall, and he falls and cracks. You know, then known not as Humpty Dumpty, but as over easy. Um, and who could possibly put him back together again? King's Mint horses? What are they going to do? Yeah, I used to love the Far Side cartoon. Here's Humpty Dumpty, and the, okay, 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 you guys, you've had your chance. The horses want another shot at it. So, what a strange kind of story. Uh, but today, we're going to look at um, a man, famous man, who had a really big fall, a really big fall, and he doesn't get any help from the king's men, not even the horses, but he is put together again, but it's by the king, the king. And the word that we're going to get from God today, embedded in the story in 1 Kings 19, I'd say is for all of us, but it might particularly be for somebody here who's uh, taken a fall. You've kind of slipped into a hole of discouragement or, or depression or hopelessness even. And we've all been there. And uh, maybe some of us are even there uh, today. So we're thinking about Elijah, and here's the background. He's sent by God to Israel during a time of, of, uh, of great stagnation spiritually and in all kinds of ways. It's just a period of decadence, really. And, and uh, the people are desperate enough. They're just looking for any help they can get to put them back together again. And, and so they're looking somewhat to the one true God of Israel, but they're also looking to any kind of help that's out there, any kind of like the gods of the powerful nations around them. And these powers called gods are essentially gods, most of them gods of fertility, uh, gods related to um, uh, the crops growing better, uh, gods related to the reproduction of human life. In other words, food and the money that comes from it and sex. And I would say those gods are still with us we aren't as honest as ancient pagans, but in a lot of ways, we allow great gifts from God, like food, like sex, like, like money. We let great gifts from God displace and replace the source of all those gifts, and that's when they become gods, false gods, and yet powerful gods. Well, God asks Elijah, this prophet, to confront the people who, interesting line in chapter 18, they're wavering between two opinions. They're sort of with the one true God, but they're sort of with these other gods. They kind of go back and forth. Pretty good description of human nature. And he is led to challenge 450 prophets of, of the, the, the God of fertility Baal, or some people say Baal, but in the Hebrew, probably Baal, this God of fertility. Um, there's going to be a contest between 450 
uh, Baal followers and Elijah, representing the one true God. And so what they do, they, they set up a couple altars, all this wood where they're going to sacrifice some bulls. And, and the Baal followers spend hours and hours and hours begging for fire. Nothing happens. And then Elijah, he prays to the one true God, Yahweh. And kaboom, the whole thing just comes up in fire. And it's a high, high moment for Elijah as well as the Israelites. I mean, God has really shown up. But now look what happens in chapter 19. Now Ahab, and that's the king of Israel, not a good king, in fact, an evil king, told Jezebel, that's his wife, the queen, an even worse person. Now Ahab tells Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Just let that sink in. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Must not have thought they were all that great. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now let's just analyze this for a little second. This guy's got problems. He's got a vocational problem. His job suddenly is not going so well. He's got a psychological problem. Um, I'll just give this list up here. Uh, He's got obviously an emotional problem. I mean, he's just kind of a mess. He's filled with fear. He's even suicidal at this point. Uh, He's got a relational problem. He's alone. He's isolated. And as you're going to hear him say later, nobody else, nobody else is with me. Uh, Obviously, he's got a physical problem. He's, um, he he not only has all the tension of his fear, but but he's just run 17 uh, miles into the desert. He's absolutely depleted. And you could say he's got a spiritual problem. His faith has faltered. So what do you do to help Elijah? with all these problems? Well, several things. You send them for the vocational problem, you send them to a, a job counselor. And then for the psychological problem, you send them to a mental health clinic. For the relational problem, you send them to a social club. At least get them on Facebook. For the physical issues, you send them to a doctor. Uh, for the spiritual struggle, you send them to church. So he gets a little dose of religion. Now, that, in a way, that makes sense. Maybe. But maybe not. I mean, for one thing, he's in the desert. There aren't very many specialist offices out there. Okay. <laughs> But even if they were available, think about this. Human beings are not a bundle of parts. They're not a bundle of parts where you take this part that doesn't be, isn't working well and you just ship it off to get it fixed and then put it back in. I mean, there's some truth to this, okay? But here's the full truth, that, that we human beings are a multidimensional single entity. We're made as whole persons. And yet we have these different parts, different dimensions. It's, we're wonderfully complicated, but it's all intertwined into a whole. Now, now, you know, we live in an age of specialization, a division of labor. In a lot of ways, it's really great. It's a wonderful blessing that people can really concentrate on this or that. But there's a dangerous side to it, at least a problematic side to it, and that's what I'd call fragmentation. 
we kind of split up life. We split up even human beings. And, and as parents, as we raise our kids, you know, it's, it's good that we have a doctor for the bodily problems. We've got teachers to help with education, counselors for the emotions, and, and, and we've got Sunday school teachers to help with faith. That's all good. These are all gifts from God. But, but inadvertently, sometimes then we don't just know and love that whole little person. And unfortunately, if we just kind of parcel out all the different parts to different people, um, there's this fragmentation, and we end up just kind of picking up the pieces. Behind any solutions for various problems that you and others have, what Elijah had, is finally the great need of God. Jesus said to a stressed-out friend named Martha, it's only one thing you need, just one. And he was talking about himself. And, and here's the thing, if, if, if God is real and who he claims to be, he can't just be one of several specialists. That, yeah, I'll go to God when I have a spiritual problem. But otherwise, I'll go to all these others. Now, he, he doesn't just take care of one, of one part of us. He cares about all of us. And, uh, and, and he's Lord of everything. He's the giver of all gifts, all that come. So Now, Elijah, Elijah knows this, um, even though his faith and hope are barely there at this point. So with gut level honesty, he goes to God as he is. He's just kind of a mess. What does God do with the first the first thing God does, he doesn't answer the prayer. He doesn't let him die. Sometimes a, a no from God is a really good thing. Nope, not going to let you die here. We're going to do something else. So, well, what does he do? Well, the first thing he does is give the poor man some food and rest. And so um, let's read on. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread and baked over, uh, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Uh, now Elijah has enough strength to position himself to all the more listen to God. I mean, when you're absolutely wiped out, when, when you haven't eaten for a long time, when you haven't slept for a long time, you, can, you really can hardly listen to anything, but now he can listen all the more to God and less, listen less to his huge fears that have been magnified by exhaustion. Well, somehow he feels the need to head way south to Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai, where Moses uh, was given a revelation from God about uh, life, about, um, about God's people. And, and here's what happens then, going on in verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? He replied, I've seen, I've been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. I am the only one left. 
And now they're trying to kill me too. It's a good, honest answer to God. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, this, this really gets interesting. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, Again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. So just repeating that honest heart. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, now God's got a job for him. He's got a purpose for him. Anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In the end, um, Elijah gets out of the pits. God gets all the credit, right? But let me ask you this question. Does that mean that the problem was a spiritual problem, period? Was it just a spiritual problem? Because, because God's a solution, so it must be just a spiritual problem. The answer is No. God's the one who provides, but you can't just narrow it down to the need was a spiritual problem. The poor guy needed some food and rest. That simple, that importantly. Uh, God sends a messenger, an angel. The, the word angel means messenger. And, and frequently, uh, angels are not recognized as such. You know, Hebrews 13 says, um, we entertain angels, we're not even aware they're angels. Well, I think God sends lots and lots of messengers. We may not call them angels, but they might be human angels, if you will, human uh, messengers. I think the messengers from God, he's the source, he gets all the glory, he gets all the credit. But don't you think a messenger from God could be the doctor who says, you've got to eat better. A messenger from God could be the mom who says, you need more sleep. The messenger from God could be a friend who says, hey man, you could use some more exercise. Could be a friend that loves you enough to say, hey, I want to walk with you. We got to fight this addiction. These are messengers from God so often. Uh, some of us are, are, are down mentally and spiritually because because we're out of shape physically and in other ways. And uh, it's often God, who's the giver of every perfect gift, who has authority over all things. He's the one who, who provides 
that nudge toward, toward good food that he made and, 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 and uh, better diet and exercise and, and so on. There, there's a lot of stuff we can't control here, right? But there's a lot we can. Well, we can take steps, uh, even, even in our uh, broken, fallen bodies. And so it could be diet, exercise, sleep. I think a provision of God in modern times are certain drugs, not the kinds of drugs that are an escape from reality, but the kinds of drugs like, say, antidepressants that actually are restoration of the equilibrium that God had for the brain and so on. There's no shame in taking an antidepressant. It could be just this messenger from God, this provision that's bringing a little more balance into the physical system that he created. Yeah, I'm grateful for the development of modern medicine. You don't want it to just replace faith. And, and I do believe God intervenes and heals many times, but also I believe it's a provision from God. It's one of his messengers that he, he uh, allowed us to live in a time when there's the development of modern medicine, which has its roots in a biblical mindset. Really, the development of modern medicine goes back to believers who, number one, had compassion, but they also had this calling from God to have dominion over the earth. Instead of just seeing the earth as some kind of, oh, this is, this is divine, this, this earth, all this stuff out here, these bodies, can't mess with it. No, it, it no, no, out of the Jewish tradition, as Christians, we say, no, we have dominion. This is not the creator that he is. And we've been, we have a calling where we have the freedom to be co-creators, if you will, and develop things, technology, including uh, medicine. It, it, it's why so much that's good, not all of it is, but a lot that's good in Western civilization comes out of a Christian mindset. You know, when my wife was in her 30s, she really had terrible struggles with asthma. And we saw some divine interventions that were wonderful and powerful, but, but, but you know, many times she had to be hospitalized for a few days. And uh, one, after one particularly bad episode, thought, thought I was going to lose her, but um, she was getting some respiratory therapy in the hospital, uh, nebulizer treatment it was, and so I just was with her and just casually asked the therapist, I said, yeah, I'm just curious, um, what kind of treatments were given, say, 100 years ago for people like her? And I wasn't ready for what he said. He turned around and said, well, there wasn't any. They all died. All of them. Nobody survived this 100 years ago. I just, whoa. I said, thank you, Lord. They just happen to live right now in this place. In the 1940s, here in Denver, my mom's little sister, 12-year-old Donna, got really sick. A few days later, she was dead. She had polio. There was an epidemic around the country in the 1930s, 40s. Hit Denver pretty hard. Uh, my grandpa cried so hard that he went blind in one eye. This is his little 12-year-old daughter. Um, that epi epidemic, some of you maybe experienced it somewhat directly, it paralyzed or killed thousands and thousands of people, especially children. I myself had a mild case of polio when I was in third grade. But I believe it was mild. It knocked me out of school for a year, had to do therapy. But I believe it was mild because I had this thing called a vaccine that was uh, wonderfully developed in the 1950s. And uh, today, today, 
there are hardly any cases of polio anywhere in the whole world because of this vaccine. And I thank God. I call that a gift from him. And, and now I'm thankful that in our country there's been this amazingly rapid development of vaccines against COVID-19. And it's not, it's nothing to do with politics. I just think we have this wonderful development. And, and right now, as you probably know, that in, in many states, in most states, at least 90%, in many states, it's 99 plus percent of, of the people who are hospitalized who have died because of this Delta variant of COVID-19. 90 plus percent of them um, have not been vaccinated. And no condemnation of them, but I just thank God that um, their vaccinations. Okay, so God, God provides. And this is what I, I'm not going to go on and on with all the other stuff, but God's gifts, one is just rest and food, taking care of his body, okay? I praise God for his provisions. But then what else does he do? God provides heart probes. And this is getting closer to the center of who we are. You know, God asked that question, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? And I, th I think God asks that kind of question all the time. And, and then he, uh, he gives Elijah a purpose, giving commission, a commission. There's still more to do, Elijah. You still have a purpose. It's not time for you to die. We're going to move on. And, and then uh, there's companions. You're not alone. There's 7,000, a remnant that's still here in Israel. You are not alone. Uh, let's move on. So, friends, what about us? Uh, Maybe it's time for um, just a realization of purpose. Um, instead of just being wrapped up with yourself, what, what does God, how does he want to use you to bless others? Which will bless you. Uh, what, what about companions? Are, are there some, do you need to ask God, bring me alongside some people that I can encourage, but also can encourage me. So I'm not doing this thing called life alone. Um, what about um, the probing questions? Do you let God ask you the hard ones and maybe use some of those companions? Uh, for example, I had a friend that, that um, told me as he was a kid, when he was a kid, he was always getting into fights, just constantly. And there was probably some reasons for that, given his kind of rough background. But, but what really began to turn him around was a teacher. Who, who basically sat him down, and Kyle trusted this teacher, and the teacher just said, what, what are you trying to gain in these fights? And he kind of came out empty. I, I don't know. And, and the basic question was, how's this all working for you? You know, and he wasn't, he wasn't blasting him or condemning him, but just look at yourself, man, probing questions just like God with Elijah, did with Elijah. Uh, wh wh what are you really doing here, wanting to die? Um, it's what a, a good counselor, somebody like Taylor, will do. Just ask these questions to surface some truth. Had another friend who's dealing with a lot of family tensions, and a, a kind of a mentor asked, um, okay, think about this. In, in the midst of these tensions, do you always have to be right or do you want to be rightly related? You hear the difference there? 
because she was in a posture where I have to be right. Well, only God is perfectly righteous. So can you focus on the relationships, truthfully, of course, with integrity, but can you focus on those relationships? Some Steve was talking about last week. Um, now, 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 sometimes when, when God's leading us out of these holes in all kinds of different ways into these gifts, he gets really dramatic, right? There's hurricanes, there's earthquakes and fire. But is that mainly what God gives, kind of a dazzling show? Not with Elijah, remember? God was not in the fire. God was not in the earthquake. God, God was not in the hurricane. Um, here's what God ultimately gives. His, it's his word. There was the gentle whisper. The gentle whisper. Literally, it's kaldamadaka, which means a voice of sheer silence. It's, it's quite a statement. A voice of absolute silence. It sounds crazy, but that's the voice. This is the whisper, the breath that has words in it, but it's not emptiness. Because this breath that has, that has words to it is the voice that created everything out of nothing. This is the voice that was the ultimate word who was with God, who was God, and who is God. The voice, the word that became flesh, giving himself in grace and truth, the voice that healed bodies, stirred storms, shook the earth, and this whisper, which is ultimately just a breath, it's, it's the breath of the Spirit that breathes upon creation, but also any, any human being. It's his presence. Uh, and I tell you what, it's not just one gift among many. Got this, I've got that. Oh yeah, thank God, I've got this over here. God and his word and his spirit. Now it's, it's the gift. He is the gift, because he is the giver of every else every other gift given. And I tell you what, he is still breathing out his whisper, his powerful whisper. And my question is for myself and us, are we, are we willing to listen to the still, small voice of God? Let me close with this. Philip Yancey, the writer, talks about a friend who is swimming in a large lake at dusk and as he's paddling leisurely about 100 yards offshore, a freak flaw, uh, fog came in. It was at dusk, and suddenly he just couldn't see anything, not a thing. And uh, there's no horizon, no landmarks, uh, no, no objects, no lights on the shore, and he couldn't even see the, where the sun was setting. It, it was so thick. And uh, so for about half an hour, he just kind of splashed around and He'd start going one direction, but then would panic, thinking, no, that's not the right direction. So he'd go the other direction, then panic. And, and, and he finally got to the point where he, he was exhausted, so he just lay on his back and tried to get as still as possible and just to conserve his energy. But, th but then pretty soon he'd say, no, i got to get out of here. So he'd start swimming, but start panicking again, and then try to rest again. Finally, though, 
you could hear, hear a voice, this really faint voice. And he just pointed his body in that direction and swam toward the voice, just trusting that that, that, that was a voice on the shore. And uh, it led him to safety. Now, here's what Yancey writes. All of us can relate to this story. We get forced to live life in increasingly dense fog. All the familiar surroundings that we once knew are shrouded and clouded, and we don't know which way to go. If we're honest, we're often scared and sometimes desperate, longing for some direction from God. But if we will just stay quiet and trust in him, we will hear the sounds from the shore. We'll hear the sounds from him. And we will know which way to go. Friends, we've all got problems and God cares about those problems, but even more, he loves us as we are. And so my question is, are we open enough, open enough to him just to get honest with him, to say, here's where I'm at in the problems, in the good, but also the bad? Are we willing to maybe set aside our firm expectation? Okay, I, 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 need, I need some fire. I need a hurricane. I need an earthquake. Just let go of that. He may give it, may not. Are you willing to, above all, get still? Listen for that whisper that, among other things, will say, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I go before you. Will you follow me? Just take a moment of silence, will you, in his presence, before we close with a song. God, you're, you're great and you're good. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy and grace that meets us where we are to forgive our failures, to speak into our lives with promises that give hope, to grant your presence that gives the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I do ask that Today, we will have heard you, not me, but anything you may have said through me or in spite of me, what you said through this encounter Elijah had with you, uh, Lord, directly in our minds and hearts. Allow us to find ways to, to, to be still, to trust you're there, and to hear your voice and to follow pray this for myself, for each of us, for this body, this church family together. In your name, amen. Be still and know that the Lord is in control. Be still, my soul. 
Stand and watch as giants roll I won't be afraid You are here You silence all my fears I won't be afraid You don't let go Be still my heart and know I won't be afraid Just faith and grace alive. I won't be afraid, for you are here. You silence all my fears. I won't be afraid, you don't let go. You fill my heart and move. I won't be afraid. This morning, if there's anyone who'd uh, do well to, to come alongside someone, to pray, to lift up, uh, maybe it's just a joy, but also some, something you're wrestling with where you need a companion to go to God together, uh, know that there are lots of people here that would be honored, be blessed to pray with you. In fact, if you're willing to pray with someone, just slip up your hand for a second. Just not, look around. They, they would love to pray with you and for you. I would be willing to myself.
And uh, I, I do pray that uh, more than anything else, we would listen, listen for the voice of God who says, uh, who says, come to me and I will give you my rest. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you my rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So with that invitation, let's go into this week. Let's, let's stand together. May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ bless you and fill you and lead you into the rest of this day and week. Amen. Savior, say thy strength.